0: part one chapter fourteen of quo vadis a tale of the time of nero this librivox recording is in the public domain quo vadis by Henrik sinkevich translated by Benyon and malevsky part one chapter fourteen for some days chilo disappeared from sight the information vinitius had received from Actia that lygia loved him made him a hundredfold more eager to find her through his slaves he instituted a careful search He was both unwilling and unable to appeal to caesar whose attention was now completely absorbed in the dangerous illness of the little augusta nothing availed to help the child neither sacrifices in the temples nor prayers nor vows nor the skill of physicians nor the magic spells to which they had recourse when the last hope had vanished at the end of a week the infant died the court and the whole city of rome were plunged in mourning caesar who had been wild with delight at the birth of the child was now equally wild with grief shutting himself up in his room he refused food for two days the court was crowded with senators and augustales who hastened thither with their condolences caesar denied himself to all the senate assembled in extraordinary session and proclaimed that the little augusta was a goddess the senators decided to dedicate a temple to her and appoint a special priest for the service of the new goddess in other temples sacrifices were also offered to her statues were cast from precious metals her funeral was celebrated with unprecedented solemnity the people marvelled at the unrestrained grief to which caesar surrendered himself they wept with him stretched out their hands for gifts and above all found amusement in the splendid pageant the death of the little augusta alarmed petronius all rome was aware that poppaea ascribed it to witchcraft the physicians eagerly caught up her words as a convenient excuse for their unsuccessful efforts so likewise did the priests whose sacrifices had proved unavailing the soothsayers who trembled for their lives and the people generally Petronius was now glad that Lygia had disappeared, he wished no evil to the house of Aulus, and especially he wished good to himself and to Vinitius. As soon as the cypress placed before the palatine as a sign of mourning had been removed, he went to the reception appointed for senators and Augustales to learn how far Nero had credited the rumors of witchcraft, and to neutralize the possible consequences with his knowledge of nero he was convinced that though he did not believe in witchcraft he would feign belief partly through self-deception partly through a desire for revenge but especially for the purpose of averting the suspicion that the gods were punishing him for his crimes petronius did not admit that caesar had any deep or sincere love even for his own child though he made a great show of attachment but he had not the least doubt that nero would pretend an exaggerated grief nor was he mistaken nero listened with stony face and fixed stare at the condolences of knights and senators it was evident that even if he were suffering he was simultaneously taking thought of the impression which his despair made on others he was posing as a niobe and giving a representation of paternal sorrow such as an actor might give on a stage yet even now he could not long retain his attitude of stony and silent sorrow at one moment he would make a gesture as if casting dust upon his head at another he groaned deeply seeing petronius he assumed a tone of tragic pathos evidently wishing that all should hear him (laughs) he cried thou art the cause of her death by thy advice the evil spirit was admitted to these walls which at one glance smote the life out of her breast woe is me better that i had never seen the bright face of the sun god woe is me Gradually raising his voice, he filled the chamber with exclamations of despair. Petronius saw that he must put everything to the hazard of a die. He stretched out his hand, seized the kerchief, which was always around Caesar's neck, and put it to Nero's lips. "'Caesar!' he cried solemnly, "'let Rome and the whole world perish from grief, but preserve thy voice for us!' all present were astonished caesar himself was stricken dumb for a moment petronius alone stood unmoved he well knew what he was doing he did not forget that Terpnos and diodorus had an order to close caesar's mouth whenever his voice might be threatened by overexertion o caesar continued petronius in the same sad and persuasive voice we have suffered an immense loss but let this treasure remain to console us nero's face quivered tears stood in his eyes placing his arm on Petronius's shoulder he suddenly bent his head to his breast and in a voice choked by sobs he began only thou petronius hast reminded me of this only thou petronius only thou tigellinus grew yellow with envy again petronius turned to nero go to antium there she appeared unto the world thence issued thy joy thither consolation will come thee let the sea air refresh thy divine throat let thy breast breathe in the soft moisture of the air we thy loving servants will follow thee everywhere and when we comfort thy sorrow with our friendship thou wilt console us in turn with song yes answered nero sadly i will write a hymn in her honor and will compose the music for it and then thou wilt go to bai and revive under the warm rays of the sun and later i will seek forgetfulness in greece in the land of poetry and song his mood of stony grief gradually dispersed like clouds that cover the sun then ensued a conversation which though still full of signs of sorrow was none the less enlivened by plans for the coming journey they spoke of the exhibitions that caesar would make of his artistic skill of the feasts that would be prepared for the expected arrival of tiridates king of armenia it is true tigellinus tried to bring up once more the matter of witchcraft but petronius took up the challenge with full assurance of victory tigellinus said he dost thou think that witchcraft can harm the gods caesar himself hath spoken of spells answered the courtier was grief speaking with his lips but tell us what thou thinkest of them thyself the gods are too powerful to be influenced by spells and dost thou not acknowledge the divinity of caesar and his family oh, it is finished exclaimed eprius marcellus who stood close by repeating the shout used in the circus when a gladiator had received a mortal blow tigellinus smothered his rage between him and petronius had long existed a rivalry for the favor of nero Tigellinus had this advantage, that Nero observed no ceremony in his presence, but Petronius hitherto had always vanquished Tigellinus in every encounter of wit and judgment. And so it happened now. Tigellinus grew silent. He occupied himself merely by impressing upon his memory the names of the senators who crowded around Petronius at the other end of the hall, in the expectation that after this victory he would become the prime favorite of Caesar petronius on leaving the palace directed his litter to be borne to the house of vinitius he informed the latter of his encounter with caesar and tigellinus and added i have removed all danger not only from aulus Plautius and pomponia but also from ourselves and more particularly from lygia she will not now be pursued for the reason that i have persuaded the red-bearded ape to go to antium and then to naples or baiae he will surely go he has not yet made up his mind to an appearance before the roman public in the theatre but i know that for some time he has purposed to make a trial in naples moreover he is dreaming of a visit to greece where he wishes to sing in all the principal cities after that he will make a triumphal entry into rome with all the wreaths which the Greeklets may bestow upon him in the meantime we will have an opportunity to search for lygia without hindrance and to hide her in a safe place if we find her but has not our noble philosopher returned yet thy noble philosopher is a cheat he has not appeared and we may be certain of never casting eyes upon him nay i have a better opinion if not of his honesty at least of his wit he has drawn blood once from thy purse be assured that he will return even were it only to draw blood a second time let him beware lest i draw his own blood do not do that bear with him until thou art entirely convinced of his deceit give him no more money but promise him a liberal reward in case he brings thee correct information but thou thyself what art thou doing in this matter Two of my freedmen, Nymphidius and Demas, with sixty slaves, are in full pursuit. I have promised freedom to him who finds her. Further, I have sent special messengers to inquire of Ursus and the maiden in all the inns leading to Rome. Day and night I myself traversed the city in the hope of a chance meeting. Whatever thou learnest inform me of it by letter, I must go to Antium it is well and if some fine morning thou wakest to say to thyself that it is not worth while to waste time and pains on a maiden then come thou to antium and there we will have plenty of women and amusement vinitius strode with long steps across the floor petronius gazed at him for some time before he again broke silence tell me frankly he said at last not as a dreamer who conceals something within himself but as a man of sense answering a friend art thou still carried away by lygia vinitius stopped for a moment and gazed at petronius as intently as if he had never seen him before then he resumed his walk evidently he was restraining an outburst but the sense of his own impotence the pain the wrath and the ceaseless yearning which possessed him moved him to tears his dim eyes spoke to petronius with more force than the most eloquent words after a moment's thought the elder said is not atlas who bears the world on his shoulders but but women and sometimes they play with it as with a ball true answered vinitius then they bade each other farewell but just then a slave announced that chilo chilonides was outside in the antechamber awaiting permission to enter vinitius ordered his instant admittance behold laughed petronius did i not tell thee so by hercules preserve thy calm otherwise he will subdue thee not thou him salutations and honor to the noble soldier and tribune and to you o master said chilo entering may your good fortune equal your fame and may your fame resound over the world from the pillars of hercules to the uttermost boundaries a greeting to thee wise and virtuous lawgiver answered petronius vinitius asked with assumed calmness what news hast thou brought master on my first visit i brought thee hope and now i bring assurance that the maiden will be found which means that the maiden is not yet found true master but i have discovered the meaning of the sign she drew i now know who are the people that rescued her and i also know among what class of religionists she must be sought vinitius was on the point of leaping from the chair whereon he sat but petronius laid his hand on the young man's shoulder and turning to chilo said speak on art thou certain o master that the maiden drew a fish upon the sand yes exclaimed vinitius then she is a christian and christians have taken her away a moment of silence followed Hearken, chilo said petronius my kinsman hath set aside for thee a large reward for the finding of lygia and no smaller allowances of lashes if thou art striving to deceive him in the first case thou wilt be able to buy not merely one but three copyists in the second case not all the philosophy of all the seven sages and thine own in addition will serve thee as a healing ointment master this maiden is a christian insisted the greek Hearken, Chilo, thou art no fool. We know that Junius Solana and Calvia Crispinilla accused Pomponia Gracina of professing this Christian superstition. It is also known to us that a private investigation acquitted her from this charge. Dost thou wish to renew it? Dost thou think thou wilt be able to convince us that both Pomponia and Lygia belong among the enemies of the human race, the poisoners of fountains and wells, the worshippers of an ass's head, among a people who murder infants and who give themselves up to the foulest corruptions beware chilo lest the thesis announced by thee be not turned back upon thee as an antithesis chilo spread out his hands as a sign that it was not his fault and said lord pronounce the following words in greek jesus christ son of god savior well i have done so but what of that now take the first letters of each word and form them in such a manner as to compose a new word fish cried petronius astonished now thou seest why the symbol of a fish became the symbol of christianity the argument of the greek was so convincing that both the friends remained buried in thought vinitius asked petronius art thou not mistaken did she really draw a fish by all the infernal gods dost thou wish to drive me insane cried the young man wrathfully had she drawn a bird i should have said a bird it follows that she is a christian repeated chilo which means said petronius that pomponia and lygia are poisoning wells murdering kidnapped children and giving themselves up to corruption nonsense thou vinitius didst remain for some time in their house i was not there long but i know Alice and pomponia well enough if a fish be the symbol of the christians which is really difficult to deny and if they are all christians then by proserpina it is evident that christians are not what we suppose them master thou speakest like socrates replied chilo who has ever interrogated a christian who is familiar with that creed when three years ago i passed from naples to rome oh wherefore did i not remain there i was joined by one glaucus who was said to be a christian and in spite of this i convinced myself that he was a good and virtuous man did this virtuous man inform thee of the meaning of the fish master on the road this honourable man was stabbed in an inn and his wife and child were taken away from him by slave-dealers in their defence i lost these two fingers but they say that there is no lack of miracles among christians so i hope that these two fingers may grow out again how is that hast thou become a christian Since yesterday, O master, since yesterday, this fish has made me a Christian. See what power it has. In a few days I shall become one of the most zealous of believers, so that I may be admitted to all their secrets. But when I am admitted, I shall learn where the maiden is. Then, perchance, my Christianity will pay me better than my philosophy. I made a vow to Mercury that if he aided me in finding the maiden, I would sacrifice to him two heifers of the same age and size whose horns i shall gild which means that your christianity of yesterday and your philosophy of the day before allow thee to believe in mercury I always believe in what I need to believe in. Such is my philosophy, and it ought to harmonize with the taste of mercury in especial. But you, worthy lords, know what a suspicious god he is. He trusts not the vows of the most irreproachable philosophers. Perchance he may desire the heifers in advance, but this involves a large outlay. Not every one can be a Seneca, and I cannot afford the expense unless the noble Vinitius be willing to advance a portion of the promised reward not a farthing chilo said petronius not a farthing the liberality of vinitius will surpass thy expectations but not before thou findest lygia or showest her place of concealment mercury must trust thee for the two heifers though i do not wonder that he does it unwillingly i see mercury has wit listen to me worthy masters the discovery i have made is a very great discovery for though i have not yet found the maiden i have found the method by which she may be found ye have scattered freedmen and slaves throughout the city has any one of them given you a clue no i am the only one who has found one i will say more among your slaves may be slaves of whom ye know nothing this superstition hath spread itself everywhere instead of helping you they may betray you it is even dangerous for me to be seen here therefore thou noble petronius swear eunice to silence and thou noble vinitius announce that i am selling the anointment which secures certain victory for horses in the circus i alone will seek her and i alone will find the fugitives but have faith in me and know that whatever i receive in advance will be only a stimulus for i will always hope to receive more and will be more certain that the promised reward will not fail me yea this is true as a philosopher i have a contempt for money though it is not scorned by seneca nor by carnutus yet these philosophers have not lost two fingers in defence of some unfortunate they can write themselves and leave their names to posterity but besides the slave whom i wish to buy and mercury to whom i have promised two heifers and you know how dear cattle are at present the search itself involves numerous expenses listen to me patiently during these last few days my feet have become sore from continuous walking i have sought converse with people in the wine shops in the bakeries in the butcher shops and with oil dealers and fishermen i have run through all the streets and lanes i have been in the dens of escaped slaves i have lost large sums of money playing mora i have been in laundries in drying sheds and in lunch rooms i have met mule drivers and carvers men who cure troubles of the bladder and men who pull teeth i have talked with dealers in dried figs i have been in cemeteries and know ye my object in all this it was in order to draw a fish everywhere to look into people's eyes and to hear what they might say when they saw this sign for a long time i learnt nothing then at last i met an old slave at a fountain drawing water and weeping approaching i asked the cause of his tears we both took our seats at the steps of the fountain when he told me that all his lifetime he has been saving up sesterces to redeem his beloved son from slavery but his master pausa by name on seeing the money took it and kept the son in slavery and so i weep said the old man for though i repeat the will of god be done yet i a poor sinner cannot restrain my tears then i moistened my finger in the pail of water and drew the figure of a fish at which he remarked i also put my trust in christ then i asked him didst thou recognize me by this sign and he answered yea may peace be with thee i then began to question him and the old man told me all his master pausa is himself a freedman of the great he ships along the tiber to rome stone in boats which slaves and hirelings unload and carry to buildings at night-time so as not to obstruct the streets during the day many christians are engaged in this work and among them his son but as the work is beyond his son's strength he desired to redeem him but pausa kept both the money and the slave while relating this the old man wept again and i followed his example which was not difficult because of my kind heart and the pain in my feet caused by continual walking i lamented likewise that i had arrived recently from naples so that i knew none of the brethren nor where they assembled for prayer he marvelled that the brethren in naples had not given me letters of recommendation to the brethren in rome but i explained to him that i had been robbed of my letters on the way then he instructed me to come to the river at night and he would introduce me to the brethren who would conduct me to the houses of prayer and to the elders who rule this christian community i was so overjoyed by this information that i gave him the necessary amount for his son's redemption feeling confident that the magnanimous vinitius would return me double the amount chilo interrupted petronius in thy narrative falsehood floats on the surface of truth as oil on water no doubt thou hast brought important news i think indeed that a great step has been taken towards finding lygia but do not mix falsehood with truth what is the name of the old man from whom thou didst learn that christians recognize one another by the sign of a fish is his name master a poor unfortunate old man he reminds me of glaucus whom i defended from murderers i believe thou didst make his acquaintance and that thou wilt be able to make use of this acquaintance but thou didst give him no money thou didst not even give him one farthing dost understand thou didst not give him anything but i assisted him to lift his pail and i spoke of his son with the greatest sympathy yea master what can be concealed from the insight of petronius i did not give him any money or more correctly i gave to him in intention only this would have sufficed him had he been a true philosopher i gave it to him because i considered the gift necessary and useful for think how this will win for me the hearts of all the christians and how i will secure access to them and win their confidence true said petronius but it was to thy interest to do it then petronius turning to vinitius said order that five thousand sesterces be counted out to him but in intention only but vinitius said i will give thee a servant who will carry the necessary amount thou wilt tell eurysius that the servant is thy slave and thou wilt count out the money to the old man in the servant's presence but as thou hast brought important news thou shalt have the same amount for thyself call this evening for the servant and the money thou art as liberal as caesar cried chilo permit me master to dedicate my work to thee but permit also that i come this evening for the money only as eurisius informed me that the boats had all been unloaded and that others would not follow from ostia until a few days have passed may peace be with you thus do christians greet one another i shall buy a female slave No, no i mean a male slave Fish are caught with a bait, and Christians with fish. Peace be with ye. Peace, peace. End of part 1, chapter 14